Let's go. Yeah. Three C's, Mafia. Yeah. Whoa. Hey. Yeah. Whoa. Say what? Hey. Whoa. Three C's, Mafia. Yeah. Hey. It's going down. Hey. Y'all hey. know what time it is. Hey. We ain't playing with you. In the club. Hey. In the street. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to No BS from our long summer break, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get down to business on the show. Have a fantastic time. Isaiah, how are you? And welcome back to No BS, my friend. How are you tonight? Oh, it was a great, great summer vacation. You know, I went to Hawaii. I went to the Caribbean. I went to Miami. I just suntanned all day long. Well, why are you as pale as me then almost? For the last three months, you know, I'm so tan. I'm just kidding. But it was a great summer vacation. Um, you know, it was great to uh, uh, be able to go on vacation elsewhere and to be able to do other stuff. And uh, I missed this program, though. However, I was kind of itching to uh, cut our vacation short during our summer vacation and do the show uh, during, like, one of the – final or the couple months that we didn't do the show but it's great to be back you know we got a lot of stuff to talk about and uh, there is one topic i'm definitely very very excited to talk about and that is regarding the usc trojans who they finally finally fired clay helton a couple of days ago which i was very happy about but looking forward to this program and we got a very unique power five tonight on the docket so looking forward to this show all right, Isaiah, thank you for your nice, glorious, warm introduction. And John, how are you tonight? Welcome to No BS. It's a great return, and having you on the show is always fantastic. So how are you tonight? It's been a long time, and uh, folks, I'll be honest, though. I don't talk college football, but before the show, me and Trevor were just dicing up, which doesn't ever happen, ever. Just look at the uh, New Year's celebration, but we're good to come on here. And uh, with Isaiah, it's just BS, but with you and I, Trevor, it's no BS. Yep. So, you know, gentlemen, it's been, you know, an interesting, I guess, you know, two weeks in the world of college football. And I know Isaiah's first topic tonight has been itching at it, and I've been demising it as long as I possibly could, <laughs> trying to stay away from the show like Isaiah does after his team loses. But I'm man enough to come up on the show and talk about the loss with Ohio State to Oregon. So, Isaiah, I'll go to you. What are some of your reactions to Oregon beating Ohio State by a touchdown. Final score of that game was 35 Oregon, 28 Ohio State. So, Isaiah, what were some of your reactions to that game? Well, Trevor, um, I'm going to keep my statements nice and short and sweet because I've been talking about this pretty much the past, like, four or five days or three, four days ever since this game went down. You know, I put this on the script tonight because I know you wanted to talk about it because you and Shree were in Columbus. You guys were at that game. You even sent me a picture from that game. I'm trying to pull it up right now on my phone. But you sent me a picture of that game of the Oregon Duck, which I thank you very, very much, Trevor. And uh, 
here is the photo. I don't know if you guys can see it right there, but there's the Oregon duck right there sitting in a was that a real chair, Trevor? Was that a it, real? It was chair? a blow up like lounge chair, basically. It was like if you think blues clues in the thinking chair, that's basically what's equivalent to. And the, and yeah, I literally told Tree when I was yeah. there. Oh, sorry, John Go. Don't miss him, blues clues, man. We just had my childhood shattered last week. But yeah, that, that chair, I would say Isaiah would bring something like that to a game. And like saying that's Isaiah in a nutshell right there, that Oregon duck. No way getting around it. The Oregon duck knows me, man. That's why they, they bring these amazing props out. But, you know, like I said earlier, I have been talking about this game for like the last three to four days. I've basically gotten everything that I needed to get out. I've gotten out. Uh, but, you know, I'll say this. Uh... Oregon, you know, this was, I think, a not just a massive win for Oregon, but it was a massive win for the Pac-12 as well as the West Coast as well. Because when you think about it, you know, Oregon, first of all, Oregon's been itching for this monumental statement win, and they certainly got it when they went into Columbus, which is a very hard place to play, go into Columbus and take down the number three Ohio State Buckeyes, and I thought that Oregon looked more physical. I thought they pushed around Ohio State um, in this football game. I was very surprised because normally when you when you mention Ohio State and some other team, you think about Ohio State is the team that is doing the pushing. Their offensive line is pushing the other team's defensive line. Their defensive line is pushing the other team's offensive line. But this was the total opposite. It was Oregon that was doing the pushing in this game. So um, I was very shocked by that. Uh, Oregon's rushing attack. I knew C.J. Verdell. He was special. I, I knew he was special. I watched him play in the Pac-12 championship game a couple of years ago uh, at Levi Stadium, and he was a monster in that game. So I knew how special he was, and he just reaffirmed that fact to me. But, you know, it was a great win for Oregon. It was a great win for the Pac-12 because, you know, the Pac-12 has been laughed at by, you know, pundits for the past – couple of years say oh the Pac-12 is the bottom of the power five conferences and rightfully so you know because the Pac-12 has not been that good but this I think this is the Pac-12 finally coming alive and saying that you know we have been down in the bottom for a long long time but now there's actually like a strong competition in the Pac-12 UCLA you know I like what Chip Kelly's doing at UCLA they're off to a great start Oregon, you know, those two teams could potentially, they're going to meet, I believe, October 27th. Um, I think it's in Oregon. And I think that game could determine who represents the Pac-12 in the Pac-12 uh, or, yeah, in the Pac-12 championship for the Pac-12 North. And also uh, who represents the Pac-12 in the potential college football playoff. But that's a long time away. But it also was a great win for the West Coast because, you know, I've heard this talk, there's so much talk of people saying the West Coast is not committed to football. Um, the West Coast plays sissy football. They play a soft style of football. And you saw Oregon just completely push Ohio State on Saturday afternoon. So it was a big win for Oregon, big win for the West Coast, big win for the Pac-12. And most importantly, how about them Ducks shattering Ohio State's college football playoff hopes? I love it, man. But Trevor... You can have the floor. You can have all night if you want. Well, like Isaiah said, I think, you know, Ohio State, you couldn't say Ohio State really got pushed around because they only lost by a touchdown. Let's let's be honest. Let's be frank about it. 
But at the same time, it's, it was their defense. I was worried about them this going into the game. They gave up over 30 points to Minnesota. Though Minnesota's team was very senior heavy, those guys with experience, I was like saying, okay, it's first game, first game jitters, you're on the road and st- fans are back in the stands. Okay, I get it. You're going to have you know probably issues on defense. Then I'm thinking second week, you probably fine tune it and you'll be able to, you know, do the traditional Ohio State dominant defense. But that wasn't there. And Oregon literally ran the ball like it was Big Ten football, just pushing it down Ohio State's throat and just getting up and down the field without a problem. But at the same time, it was like you couldn't stop the run. So if you couldn't stop the run, if I was a coach, I'm just going to keep running the ball until you actually stop me. It's like kind of a no-brainer. Though Oregon's quarterback wasn't really like a gunslinger really throwing at the ball, their run game was like phenomenal. And their tempo of being up quick pace really gave Oregon, you know, the key advantage. I know Ohio State really, you know, big into its defensive line and offensive line, but they're just big and slow compared to Oregon's light, agile players who are, are also very strong, but they're just quick. They're quicker than the big, heavy 300-pound lineman that Ohio State has. And you can do a lot more, you know, pulls with your guards and your tackles and really, you know, do good power sweeps. And as you saw, like, Oregon's first touchdown, they literally build a nice wall for the running back. They just run down a nice seam and score in. It's like, that's fundamental football right there when you have agile players like that. And that's, you know, one of those key advantages that Oregon's had. We've seen it back in 2019 when Oregon played against Auburn. They had that quick tempo, though they lost that game. It just shows you Oregon has athletic players that can compete with a lot of these teams. It's just when these other teams have firepower offenses to really put up points real quickly, you know, it kind of slows down Oregon's momentum to continue that quick tempo since, you know, that other team can just take three plays, three big plays down the field, and now they just scored and kind of changes your game plan a little bit. But I want to go to John and get some of his reactions. You all heard my rant about this game, but I want to hear some of John's takes on this. You know, this is not the rant you want to hear. That's a, that is a different rant that I don't know if we'll talk about that or not. But the Oregon is, regardless of that, Oregon has been known, even if they have like won the Pac-12 or like we say gone, been to the national championship, won it, or been laughed at in the Pac-12, is like this is what Oregon has done regardless of wins and losses. They've run the football. Going back to Marcus Mariota, ran the football. He had two, I can't remember, in 2014, 2015, around that time, he had two really good running backs who were so fast, nobody could stop them running the football. That is what Oregon has pride themselves on is running the football. And I think this game is – is it the lesser of two evils? You either have big defensive linemen, great, but the fact of the matter is college is about speed. You look at Lamar Jackson, could run the football phenomenal well. Years ago in 2016, 2017, we're down to 15, 20 points. Lamar Jackson was running the football. This is not the NFL here where maybe you can be physically dominant. You have to have a lot of speed and keep up with the game. And unfortunately, Ohio State couldn't do that. Now, obviously, another team didn't do well and actually played a lot worse than them, but maybe we'll not talk about that one. But I'll give full credit, though, to Oregon. I mean, they, they wanted it more. They're playing a household environment in an opposing team's stadium is extremely hard in college football, and they've definitely done stuff like that. I give them full props too, and let's see what you see on Chip Cut and go. And uh, don't worry though, Brian. If it's Oregon versus uh, UCLA, I'm definitely for UCLA because we know someone that rich for them. Yeah, John. I think you know when I was at the game, like 
got to that fourth quarter and like that final drive with Oregon trying to almost seal the game. They got the first down. The crowd volume was insane. You could just feel the intensity of to do it. And it got to the point where Oregon really couldn't snap the ball and they had to burn a timeout. And that's how you could show that fans in the stadiums and the 12th man is really real. It's back. And like, I understand with all of COVID and all that stuff, but having a, like, I got like this like attendance for it. It was over a hundred thousand people back in the Ohio Stadium. It was phenomenal, great to see it. And it's just like the energy of college football was there. They did script Ohio, the tradition was back, and Oregon was in that hostile environment. Though Oregon did have like a few sections like you could see in the stadium that were like the green and yellow, but majority of it was a sea of red in the stadium. Though you could hear some of the Oregon's crowd when they were, you know, cheering and all that stuff, but the strong of a hundred thousand of Ohio State Buckeye fans just dominated that sound for it and made it really difficult for Oregon. But they came through. You could also look at Ohio State. You have a young nineteen-year-old quarterback in C.J. Stroud. You know, he had a game that you know you had the home field advantage. You had the crowd supporting you, but you're on a big stage with all, everyone you know rooting for you. But if you let down and make a bad decision. You're going to hear the huge awe or frustration of the crowd. And that's going to get to a lot of players. And maybe it got to him at the tail end of the game where he threw that last pick because he thought, like, maybe if I can make this key pass and trying to push it, you know, I might get something to work. But little did it work. It gets picked off and Ohio State loses. And though they get a second opportunity, he ends up tripping and then the game clock, you know, ends up expiring. And that's like the worst way for you to lose is because you tripped, you know? Maybe, you know, versus it was like a batted down pass because you act, at least put it up there, but you tripped in the end. And that's kind of rough for a quarterback to bounce back from. But I, I see you want to add on something to John. I don't think people, unless you've been to a sports game with a ton of fans, which all us three of us have, and I know many of the people that are watching have, there is nothing like a nearly full crowded stadium of fans cheering their team. There's nothing like it as a sports fan. You can have all the animation stuff on tv but there's nothing i can't stress that enough nothing like a in home being at the stadium full of fans again so awesome and uh i'm just glad college football is back yeah but i guess we'll move on to oh, isaiah before we move on to our next talk, topic i'll go we're not talking you. about ut though isaiah thank you <laughs> yeah no, no no i'm not talking about ut i want to talk about this uh oregon ohio state game you know um let me say this. Trevor was right about how the defensive line just got pushed around and the defensive line just couldn't stop the run whatsoever. That is a big, big concern if you're Ohio State fan. Because, you know, if it was a one-game thing, fine. We'll let it we'll let it slide. But this was a it's been a concern for two games. You know, in Minnesota, that running back, I forget his name, uh, Abraham or whatever from Minnesota, he was running rough sod all over Ohio State in that football game. And I think he would have done even more had he not tripped and popped his Achilles uh, in the third quarter of that football game. You know, once he was out, you know, House, they kind of took control of that game. But against Oregon, I mean, C.J. Verdell, every time he cut to the left, he was running wild. Every time he cut to the right, he was running wild. The safeties and the linebackers, for some reason, didn't set the edge. Um, I heard uh, Joe Klatt, great great college football analyst for Fox. He was with Colin Coward today, and he said, you know, the Ohio State safeties and their corners, they were taking bad angles 
to tackle CJ Verdell the entire game. So they, uh, they got to make, you know, some changes. Uh, I know a lot of people are upset at the defensive coordinator. I don't know if it's coaching. I, I really don't. I mean, uh, Kerry Combs, the uh, defensive coordinator, he's been there for like two, three seasons now. Um, and when he's been there, Ohio State has had a pretty good defense. I don't think it's, you know, coaching. I just think it's, you know, technique from the players, you know, uh, players taking wrong angles, corner uh, linebackers, safeties, not setting the edge. I mean, these are some of the things that they teach you in in Pop Warner football. Like if you can't set the edge in Pop Warner, like if you can't set the edge, you're obviously not going to win. Yeah, you have a good point there, Isaiah. That edge is very key. And like me, I played in high school in Pop Warner you know, being a corner, taking those right angles to make those stop on those big run games are very critical. But before you, uh, John, you want to add on something to that as well? Yeah, I was just saying Charles Woodson and another couple of defensive players would know how to do exactly what you're talking about. Well, it seems like our fans are kind of getting like a general idea of where we're heading into our next topic. But before I do that, let me read some of our comments from our, our loyal, amazing fans. Kirstie Wilson says, rocking that baby Yoda shirt, John. Thank you. Yes. And then going on to it, I'll introduce the second topic and then I'll read some of more of our comments and see if it sways any way where the college football playoffs go. So I know after two weeks of college football, you know, looking, trying to figure out who's really the best top four schools in the nation for the college football playoffs. If the playoffs happen today or, you know, once we get towards the end of the season, Who's deemed worthy enough for it? And I'll put, you know, a couple of comments up there from our fans. Kiersey Wilson says, Isaiah, it's only one game and the Buckeyes still have a chance at the college football playoffs. And then the other one is from MI6. What are the chances do OSU need to get back on track to get back to the college football playoff scenario? So two really good things out there trying to figure out who are the top four teams. But I think we all can almost come to agreement on one of the top teams would be Alabama at some point, unless they somehow get two losses and kind of screw themselves over. But the committee will try to find a way to put them in. Could we just say, oh, Alabama has it, or do you want to, you know, say we can't give any teams the luxury of being solidified at this point in time? The committee would be like the timeline of Marvel. It would be all over the place, trying to figure out a way to get Ohio State if they lost two games. Be like, wait, let's look at this branch. Let's look at this football branch and. Hopefully they can get something figured out. Add on top of that, John, Alabama's the sacred timeline. They can't be left out. (laughs) We don't use those cursing words. We don't say say the A word. I'm not talking about Don't use the word Alabama. That's what I'm going to teach my kids. All righty. Isaiah, who who do you think, you know, is, you know, worthy in the college football playoffs? Like, you know, if the playoffs happen today or by the end of the season, what teams do you think is going to be in the playoff picture? Well, I'm going to go with uh, my top four teams as of today because, you know, I think that when the college football playoffs do get announced in December, you know, we might have a bunch of chaos that we don't know because, you know, there's games that you might be like, yeah, they're, this team's easily going to win, and then they go and lose that game. So um, in college football, you know, there's no game that is considered a walkover. So 
Uh, as of right now, you know, I think Alabama is definitely a lock to make it. Uh, even if they lose a game, they're definitely going to make the college football playoff. Uh, I think Georgia is also a lock to make it because had they lost to Clemson, I would have said, you know, probably not. That would be 50-50 because they would have had one loss, right? And then they would play Alabama in the SEC championship and – if they lose that game, they will have two losses. And in the history of the college football playoffs, there hasn't been a team making the college football playoff with two losses. So Georgia absolutely had to beat Clemson uh, to keep to keep third chances of making the college football playoffs intact with a loss to Alabama. And they did it. So I think Georgia is definitely a lock to make it. Plus their defense is uh, for real, you know, it's an amazing defense. Their pass rush is ferocious. I think in the first two games of the season, they've averaged like six sacks in both of those two games. And, you know, their secondary is really good. This might be the best defense that Kirby Smart has fielded uh, as the head coach at Georgia. Plus, they have JT Daniels as well. And I think they're missing like four four um four offensive weapons. And they're still putting up over like 40 to 50 points a game. So, Georgia's a lock. Alabama's a lock. Uh, as far as the the other two teams go, you know, right now I know Notre Dame, they are undefeated, but they don't look that good. I mean, they, they have to go to overtime to beat FSU in FSU, and, you know, FSU's not that good because a week after they take Notre Dame to overtime. They go and lose to freaking Jacksonville State. So that was that was not a good win at all for Notre Dame. Uh, and then Notre Dame, I believe, at home, Trevor, was that right? At home against Toledo last week? Yep. Notre Dame at home against Toledo. They were like big-time favorites, and they only win by three points, 32-29. to 29, And they needed a game-winning drive. So I'm not impressed by Notre Dame at all. Oklahoma, I mean, they had that, that one game against Tulane. It really it really um, was unimpressive because their, their offense was great. Don't get me wrong. Their offense was great. But their defense, how do you give up 35 points at Tulane? It makes no sense whatsoever. I, Oklahoma, you know, I'm iffy about. I would say Oregon right now for me is the third best team just because, you know, they have a great defense, great rushing attack, um, and they're coming off that big win over number three, Ohio State. So that was a statement win, and you definitely got to put them in there. So they're my third best team. Uh, so I got Alabama, Georgia, and Oregon. As of right now, you know, I'm going to say Clemson. I'm going to say Clemson just because, you know, Ohio State, they had that loss to Oregon. Their run defense is atrocious right now. And if they don't get that fixed, you know, I could see teams like Penn State, teams like Michigan, who had those uh, two backs. I, I don't remember the names of those two running backs, but those two running backs in those two games that they've had, they've combined for over 600 yards rushing. So um, I think Michigan could give Ohio State problems with the running game. Plus, it's in Ann Arbor. So give me Alabama, Georgia. Oregon and Clemson as of right now. John, what about yeah. who are the four worthy teams of the Holy Grail of the national title? The A word, which I want to, because that's football cursing and we don't do that here on the show. And I mean, obviously, the reason why I still say Ohio to our I know this loss was huge, it was crucial, 
But like we kind of Trevor were talking before the show was unless the playoff committee changes and like completely they get new staff, it's not gonna happen. So until that happens, which it won't, I say I have a little bit right now, but it's hanging on the fringe, just like Loki's chances at love after episode six. You guys have seen it. That is your problem here, folks. But I mean, obviously, uh, Oregon, as of right now, without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, you go into Ohio State, like we know this in other end, going to an opposing team's home state and beating them, especially in the close one. We saw that here in the NFL and college football, and definitely something exciting. But for most part, I do agree with Isaiah, but you just never know what can happen in the world of college football. Yeah, I, I think I'm more the more I look at it, if we're going to rank it like appropriately – and how the teams end up unfolding out. Assuming Oregon goes undefeated, it'll be, like John said, the A word. Alabama sits on top. Number two would be Oregon, because they would be also another undefeated team. So then when you look at three, if you're going to put Georgia in, they would be in that three spot because they would have one loss because they would have lost the conference championship. But you could also – it's really weird where you would put that because if let's say Ohio State wins out and they're you know Big Ten champs, then it's like, do you put Ohio State as a four or a three? But do you want a repeat of the SEC title game? That's that's where the committee probably is going to have to try to figure it out. That's why they may put Georgia as three, Ohio State four in that type of scenario. But maybe they want to see maybe double rematches. Maybe that's what the committee is going to go for. I don't really know, but that's what I could see. But for Clemson, they really get back in. They need Ohio State to lose again. That's basically how they're going to get back into this playoff picture. Because if you look at the rest of their schedule, there's really no other ranked matchups they have left in their schedule. And it's really going to be tough. Like, they literally have to win out to be able to stay in the college football playoff scenario and dominate all their games to show, like, hey, we're still, you know, top dogs in the ACC. We didn't struggle anywhere. and We're practically fine for another no playoff picture, but at the same time, it's like you need help. And the only team that really is going to have some falters, Ohio State in the Big Ten, because like you said, they still got Penn State on their schedule. They still got Michigan State on their st- schedule, and they have the team up north on their schedule. So teams with solid, I shouldn't say, I guess good defenses that can cause some havoc and give your you know first-time quarterback some pressure that's really uncomfortable for him, but he's – He's got to step up. These are key, you could say, preliminary playoff games. And then on top of that, whoever you face is in the Big Ten championship game, that's a team that could probably be a caliber for, you know, maybe a playoff bid. Let's say Iowa goes undefeated and, you know, cleans up the table in the Big Ten West. And they're a seven seed trying to look their way into the playoff picture. Because if you have an undefeated Iowa and they beat Ohio State, who's probably like maybe a six at that point. You're going to probably put the undefeated Iowa in in the fourth spot and they'll probably face an Alabama. But that's how the Big Ten is really going to shake itself out unless there's going to be a one-loss team that sits in, you know, in the top ten looking their way in with conference championship week. But like I said, those are like the main teams are really high. It's more like the Big Ten teams are really fighting for that fourth spot than anything else at this point because Ohio State has that one loss and that kind of opens up that window a little bit. Yeah, I think it's going to be – it's going to come down to Ohio State or Clemson for that fourth spot because I think that I, – I just think that, you know, if Georgia runs the table, they don't lose until the SEC championship, uh, you know, Georgia's going to make the case, hey, we, we lost to Alabama. That's it. We lost to Alabama. We beat 
Clemson, who was number three at that time, uh, they're definitely going to get in. Alabama's definitely going to get in. Um, and then the third team, I don't – right now it's tough because I think that Oregon and UCLA game will definitely determine it because I could see UCLA losing before that game and then Oregon loses to UCLA. And then, you know, it's like we're going to have some chaos in the in the college football playoff because at that point, you know, you have Oregon, who they can make the case they beat Ohio State with one loss, right? Plus, if they win the Pac-12, they will have beaten UCLA again. And then you would have Ohio State with one loss. That was to Oregon. And then Clemson, one loss to Georgia. So at that time, it's like if that happens, you have three teams for two spots. But right now, I think – uh, it's got to be like Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and either Clemson or Ohio State. You can take the pick of the litter. Yeah, I think it's like when you get to that scenario where Oregon would lose to UCLA but win the conference game, it's going to go back to the time when Oklahoma beat Ohio State and Ohio State got left out of the college football playoffs because they ended up losing to Iowa in their regular season, which gave them you know two losses, and Alabama had two losses because they ended up – you know losing to Auburn. I forget who else they ended up losing to. And they put in Alabama over Ohio State because I don't know how they figured that one out, but they did it. And Alabama didn't play in the conference championship game. So it's really going to be trying to be something interesting than anything else. But let's move on, gentlemen. You know, we're you know halfway, I wouldn't say halfway through tonight's program because we don't know what happens on OBS, to be honest with you fans. Like, we could be done in an hour or this somehow could be like a 90 an, you know, an hour and 90 minutes, but we'll, we'll see how this show goes. But obviously, we, we all know what's going on in USC. They just fired, you know, Clay Helton. Now, so the question is, you know, the fate of USC at the head coaching position. So I'll go to Isaiah. What do you guys think about it? Isaiah, who, who's, who's the man in charge? Well, Adam Schefter right now, or yesterday, he put out a rumor saying that Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Uh, who is a hot target for NFL head coaching jobs. He's reportedly a top target for USC as they embark on their coaching search. <sighs> Me personally, I don't like this move just because if USC were to go down that route, because I just think that, you know, Eric Bieniemy, I like the guy, but let's face it, he doesn't call the plays in Kansas City. Andy Reid is the one that calls the plays in Kansas City. And also he hasn't been a head coach. You know, I think he would do a good job as a head coach in the NFL, but this is USC. You need, you, you can't hire a guy that's not proven. No, you have to get this right. You know, it's been so long since USC was last relevant. USC needs to hire a proven head coach that has won it and done it before. You know, that's why I'm like the guys that I'm talking about, Jack Del Rio, guy has been a head coach. You know, we we have seen what happens when offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators make that transition to the big chair. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Look at Adam Gase. The guy was, you know, regarded at that time when he got hired by the Dolphins, I believe, as one of the hottest offensive minds in the NFL. And guess what happened? He made the jump to a head coaching position and he was absolutely rubbish. He, and he got exposed for being the product of Peyton Manning. So maybe that is Eric Bieniemy. You know, I'm not saying Eric Bieniemy is not going to be a good head coach, but you know, he has Patrick Mahomes. He's working under Andy Reid. What makes 
What makes people so confident that Eric Bieniemy is going to be a slam dunk great head coach in the NFL? USC, he might be a great head coach, who knows? But USC cannot afford to take that gamble. You know, when Clay Helton first got hired, everybody was like, oh, Clay Helton might turn out to be a good head coach. And look what happened. He was absolutely awful uh, at the helm at Southern California. So they got to hire a proven head coach. They got to hire a guy that has been a head coach and done it before. Um, for me, the guys that I would hire if I'm USC and I'm running the search, Jack Del Rio is my number one option. I will. That's the first call I'm get. I'm calling if uh, I'm Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, just because Jack Del Rio, former USC alum, he knows the program inside and out. He's a guy that you know has coached in the NFL with the Raiders and also the Jacksonville Jaguars. He knows what it will take to get young players to the NFL. And I think that, you know, young players recruits, they're going to gravitate towards that because at the end of the day, what do players that are, that are going to college football, what do they want? They want a coach that can develop them so they can take, so they can go to the next level and go to the NFL. So that's why I think Jack Del Rio would be a great fit for USC. Plus, he's a no-nonsense, tough-nosed football coach. Uh, he's going to bring discipline to USC. If you look at the Raiders under Jack Del Rio, they were uh, they were one of the least penalized teams in the NFL when Jack Del Rio was coaching the Oakland Raiders at that time. So. That's what USC needs. They need a guy that can build the culture, a guy that knows the program inside and out, that can, that knows how to deal with these boosters uh, that have, you know, some say in the program. Plus, they need a true leader. They need a leader of men, and they need a guy that can bring discipline to this program. And I think Jack Del Rio, he would be a great fit. Bob Stoops is another one because he's won it. Uh, at a high level, won national championship at Oklahoma, been a head coach for a long, long time. He's kind of like Jack Del Rio, been a head coach, has changed cultures before at uh, different programs. And also he's a guy that is no nonsense, tough nose football coach will bring discipline to the program. Um, and I would say, you know, James Franklin, maybe just because um, he has done a wonderful job at Penn state. He did a tremendous job at Vanderbilt. He knows how to recruit. Um, he has great charisma, uh, but he would be my third option just because, you know, like I know got, People are throwing out Matt Campbell of Iowa State, James Franklin of Penn State, um, and I think Luke Fickle of Cincinnati. The problem with those guys are they're great coaches, but they are more Midwest type of guys instead of Los Angeles, Southern Cal. You need a guy that can understand USC. You need a guy that can understand the big spotlight of Los Angeles. You need a guy that can understand what USC is about and a guy that will not – be afraid to stand up to the boosters, to stand up to the USC athletic administration, and to stand up to uh, some of the some of the um, some of the boosters out there that are just like, hey, I, I want some I, I want some influence when it comes to this decision and this decision, this decision. So my number one choice would not be Eric Bieniemy. I think Eric Bieniemy at USC would not be a good fit. My top choice is Jack Del Rio. USC needs to call Jack Del Rio to be their head coach. And John, what about you? The fate of USC, the man who's going to take the helm of the USC Trojans and lead them into battle. The problem is here, unlike if it was like a Clemson or somewhere else, there's such deep history 
at USC. It's not just a job. Okay, no pressure. We'll we'll see what if we can get to it figured out. It's not what if we can't figure out. It's what you have to figure out. This is USC. Regardless of the past couple of years, you go. We keep saying, "Oh, you're going back to history." History does matter because then that puts pressure on a new head coach or on a new coordinator here. And I, I mean, I agree with I say here, but if you look at it, I understand. Like Adam Gase was terrible. He shouldn't have been a head coach in the NFL. And so guys from college in the NFL that don't work. I'm not saying Benny or I was butchering his last name. We got the Chiefs here, but I'm not saying he'd be a bad fit. I just think at the end of the day, until we at least give it a shot, we we don't know. Because you look at with a Washington football team years and years ago, you had a ton of young guys. Yeah, I did during me, you had me you had all these great minded coaches who have never coached before. Again, I'm not saying he's gonna be the case. I know it's the, like the NCAA, but I'm using it as an example. We just don't know the outcome. But with that being said though, there's so much pressure versus if this was like a uh, New Mexico State, no pressure. They've sucked for because they've been around. So, you know, there's no pressure to perform. But every single mistake, every single game is going to be criticized by the fans, by the media, especially by the fans who are hungry for another national championship team. And last time they truly had that, and I'm not talking trash because UT hadn't done much either. Since YouTube first came around, Reggie Bush was on that first highlight reel on YouTube back in the day. And so I'm going to have to say it is Jack DeRio for right now, but can he live to the pressure? I definitely think he can. You took the Raiders team to the playoffs. Derek Carr at the time nearly had an MVP year. You had Malcolm Crabtree. You had some good years at Meyer Cooper. So you just never know what could happen. But right now, I'm going to have to say it's Jack DeRio. Yeah, it's really tough with the fate of USC. Like you said, history is a big part of USC. Like when you think of USC, you think of national titles and Heisman Trophy winners. That's basically what USC really is out on the West Coast. Not too many other you know, West Coast schools can really say they cranked out all these Heisman Trophy winners and won all these national titles that, the, that this school has produced. But at the same time, if you get a flashy coach name, is it going to be enough to, you know, attract, you know, kids that come to USC when you have an Alabama dynasty out there running rampant wild and then Ohio State dominating the Big Ten. So let's say, you know, you're that one loss USC team, but you go to the Rose Bowl and Ohio State gets left out and you just get, you know, slaughtered by Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Like that kind of hurts USC's image a little bit. It's like they were not playoff caliber ready because Ohio State's been in the playoffs for like the last two seasons. And yet, you know, sometimes they were able to hang in that game or sometimes Alabama just was the better team. They just had way too many five-star recruits that, you know, just kind of changed how the game looked. It's kind of one of those weird predicament. I know Isaiah you threw James Franklin out there. I don't think he's going to leave Penn State because it's like, though last year with COVID, he had a bad year. He went like 0-5 at the beginning of the season. But it's COVID. We're going to give like a lot of these coaches – some you know some slack because it was just a really hard year on players and having players sit out and all that stuff. So I'll give James Franklin you know I'll pass that past year. But more normally Penn State goes ten and two. You're not going to fire a coach who goes ten and two and you know gets a New Year six. You, you really don't. Obviously you want to you know college football playoffs and all that stuff. But he has to get over the hurdle of Ohio State. Once he does that, he has to somehow survive the Big Ten championship game. And even if he's lucky with a one-loss Penn State team, it may not even be enough to get into the college football playoffs, depending how 
the rest of the you know playoff picture even goes. So it's like he has a tough gauntlet to go go through. If he went to USC, he would kind of be in the same boat where it's like if you have that one loss, your chances at the college football playoffs have just diminished in the Pac-12 compared to the Big Ten, where it's like I lost out of conference, but I still have you know like three or four other ranked opponents to really bounce myself back into a college football playoff spot. But I, I think I can go to some of our, you know, MI, MI6 fans and see what they have for some of the topics that they got. Ishmael has his, you know, college four pick. He has Alabama, Oregon, Georgia, Oklahoma as his spot. Kirsty Wilson Oklahoma's says Oklahoma is weird because they if they go out and win Big 12, they could somehow get in this picture. Plus, there's Spencer Rattler, Gabe, but she's also in the Heisman race, so that can kind of maybe add to the hype of them getting into the college football playoffs. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, the Heisman Trophy winner hasn't been left out of the college football playoffs as of date, I should say. That I'm maybe Leonard Fournette because he was down from the race with Mariota that year, but then the last two or three games, he kind of fell off the mm-hmm. Gotcha. But, like, the Heisman Trophy winner itself has, like I said, it has been there most of the time. And, like, we've seen Heisman Trophy – trophy winners versus other Heisman Trophy winners when Jameis Winston and Mariota went at at each other in the first ever, you know, college football playoff scenario. So, like, there's something about a Heisman Trophy winner in a college football playoff scenario. They're able to win it or it's not enough for them to win it because there's just way too many stars on the other team to just change the outcome of that game. And their defense is awful, too. So uh, I have a feeling that Oklahoma is going to drop a game like in the middle of the season to a team that you don't expect to beat them just because that team's defense is decent. They're going to be able to hold down that Oklahoma offense for a bit. And then their offense, uh, yeah, their offense will put up a lot of points because that Oklahoma defense just can't cover anybody. Yeah, John, I know you want to add something to that. I saw you moving your lips. No, it's because of Ishmael's comment, actually. I'll get to it. I'm still reading through our, our fans' comments. But, yeah, Kirstie Wilson said, USC is a hot mess. Maybe Del Rio doesn't want to take the risk of coaching there. Like we said, it's a big state. It's like, you know, coaching at Ohio State. You have expectations to win and get to the college football playoffs. But, like like I said, if they're, you're in a secondary school, let's say, like, a Wisconsin or an Iowa – Yes, getting to a national champion is, like, nice. But your goal is to get to a New Year's Six most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest with you people. There's people who said your goal is a national title. Then the other spot is, like, you get the New Year's Six and this program's fine. You're not getting fired. But you I'll may get a it. college football playoff spot. I'll take the, the second option, though, as a UT fan. Because <laughs> I'll take the, at least being relevant for the first time since before when YouTube came around in 2005. You had Sam, and then Sam fell off. He fell off the cliff, man. Yep. And then we go on. Yeah, proven coaches are hard to find that we said, talked about a little bit earlier, just finding a coach that, you know, can represent USC in general. Uh, from MI6, USC AD is his statement that he put out to the announcement, the firing of Clay Helton basically said our expectations are national championships or bust. We have... Um, Casey King, good evening, guys. Welcome, Casey King, joining in. Um, let's see we, what, what else we got right here. You know, Casey King has no James Franklin as even Clay Helton beat him in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that kind of did happen, but you had a decent, good Penn State team that actually contended and kind of put up a lot of points on USC with Saquon Barkley, which 
nothing to you know laugh at. Like Penn State probably could have easily won that game, but it just didn't go their way. What ended up happening? Oh, he, I guess this is the comment. Clay Helton going to Texas. You know what? I feel like some, some some people's day starts out with a nice cup of coffee. Mine's usually like a ice cold monster. But with the way Ishmael likes to start and end his day. Is by trolling me on the live show. And at least you take time out of your day to do that. That's a big fat no. No, Clay Hilton. I would rather went boo from Monster Seek. I would rather want who the heck SpongeBob is on this comment section here. I'd rather want Gary. I'd rather want Grogu. Anybody but that bum Clay Hilton. I don't want you in Texas. I don't want you writing the word Texas on your social media accounts. No. But that's some people start today with coffee like Isaiah. But this is how Ishmael starts and ends his day. We okay, got- now you're taking this too far, Ishmael. Come on here, buddy. <laughs> you see this comment here, Trevor? No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, mean, like, I think this is Ishmael's uh, source of caffeine every day. It's just trolling and trying to get a rise out of me. I get that. But, hey, everybody has their own source of caffeine here, man. I'll go back to Casey King's comment. It says his choice is Chris Peterson, Jack Del Rio, or Luke Fickle. Good selection there. And then another one he would say, if Urban Meyer was still on the market, he would take Urban Meyer as well, but he doesn't seem to stay long-term. Yeah, you, you guys can really say that about Urban Meyer. He's there for, you know, a few years and then says, you know, I'm moving somewhere else. Like, I understand, you know, he coached Utah, coached Florida, coached Ohio State, took some time off, and now he's in the NFL. So it's like he can build up your program, but sometimes you, either your program falls off or stays somewhat consistent with the transition. I know Ryan Day has done a fantastic job with Ohio State and keeping it top notch and all that stuff. But it's like you want coaches almost like, you know, Joe Paterno, you know, someone who's like longevity at this program for like when he was at Penn State and just built a dynasty at Penn State that just was a contender. Like you never saw Penn State really have a losing season there to that degree oh what else we got clay helen to the 49ers staff yes y'all just making y'all just making clay helen jokes at this point i will call people that i know and be like or somebody hey let's make this happen all right i guess you know that's a great way to segment our way to our next topic with the 49ers okay 49ers have running back problems isaiah i know you're going to probably give us a whole 15-minute spiel of why the 49ers running back core has been depleted so rapidly after one week of the NFL season already. But I'll let you go to it, my friend. Go go for it. Well, yesterday we got the news that 49ers running back, starting running back, should I add, uh, Raheem Mostert is undergoing season-ending surgery to replace chipped cartilages in his knee and he's out for the year so the question like that we have on the script for tonight's show is how big of a blow is this for the 49ers and losing Mostert for the season you know I'm gonna say this say it or you're gonna have to drink a cup why of does this guy always get hard it's like oh my gosh man it's like He's so like I like Moster. I think he's a good running back. He's a really good guy, and I like his story. But 
He always gets injured. Like, you literally touch the guy. And who knows? He might sprain something on his wrist or sprain his hip or whatever. Like, this guy always gets hurt. He is, like, the most, the most, just a guy that is, like, my God. He's, like, injury prone. Yeah, the most injury prone guy I've ever seen in my life. And he's clearly made of glass. I mean, you think Greg Oden was made of glass? I present you Mr. Raheem Moster. Like, I don't even know how he got hurt. Like, I saw he was running and then he got tackled and he was all right. He walked. He walked back, and then next thing I know, boom, breaking news. Raheem Mostert's questionable to return uh, with the knee injury. And I was like, how did he even get hurt? How? Like, he literally just got tackled. He didn't even get tackled. He just got pushed to the ground. And he and he just, like, oh, yeah, you have chipped cartilages in your knee. Like, this is a big blow for the Niners just because we were expecting a lot of big things from Raheem Mostert. The last time he was – healthy was when we went to the Super Bowl and he was a big, big part of it. You know, this guy's really, really fast. He's a great running back and catch passes out of the backfield. He's a great run blocker as well, or a pass blocker as well. So this is a big blow for the Niners. And when you look at like the their other running backs, they have Eli Mitchell, who had a great game in his debut in the NFL, but he's unproven. He's a rookie. They have Trey Sermon, who Trevor knows very well from the Ohio State University. That dude was a healthy scratch in game one. I don't know why you drafted him in the third round and he's a health unhealthy or he's a healthy scratch in game one. Makes no sense what Kyle Shanahan is doing in San Francisco. Um and then they have um Jamichael Hasty who he's a second year back. He's not really proven has played only like four games or five games in his career in the NFL before this this season. So it's a big blow because he was our most experienced running back. He was the guy that was supposed to take a heavy, a heavy workload for the 49ers. And now you're going to have to come. You have to, you're going to have to divide that workload between three guys that are either rookies or haven't played that much in their careers in the NFL. We don't know if they can handle it because Jermichael Hasty played five games and then he was out for the year because of a broken collarbone and Eli Mitchell and Trey Sermon are rookies. So uh, this is a big blow for the Niners, especially for this team since they wanted to be a very run-heavy type of offense. And now they, they probably can't do that because uh, their running back corpse is, you know, very thin right now. John, do you want to add anything on the 49ers topic, or are you satisfied with what Isaiah had to say? I want to add to something here, and this is really unfortunate, though, because I've been following this guy for many years, even before 2019. This is a story where you go back to the playoffs. If you haven't really, I'd like to go back to this because this is, like I said, we love the NFL, but we also hate stories like this in the NFL. You go back to 2020, it could have been, if they had, like, playoff MVPs, it would be Raheem Mostert. I mean, he torched the Packers defense. He torched everybody they played in the playoffs here. This guy was their leading rusher over 720 yards, undrafted rookie for H and struggling to find bounces in between and constant. I put you here because I believe in you. And then unfortunately he's one of those guys where we've seen this in the league or a conference where he has a really good year and then, you know, despite having the previous years passed, it wasn't very good. One good year, and after that, I just can't stay healthy. And I think it's one of those stories, folks, where probably that's that's what it, that's what it is. And it really sucks because I think a lot of us were 
room for them. I mean, 200 yards in the ACC championship game going to the Super Bowl, that, you don't expect that from a guy who's been on three to four teams alone at a time. And it's definitely unfortunate. But, I mean, that's what it is, folks. And so, rooting for him. But it's a big blow to the Niners because you have a mobile quarterback. You have Juju played pretty decently. So, it's unfortunate. But those are some of the stories we see in the NFL. Yeah, but I know a lot of fantasy owners are panicking and trying to get that waiver wire running back for the San Francisco's 49ers and trying to figure out, is it worth starting, sitting, and all that stuff, just seeing how this week goes. Like, if I was a fantasy owner, like I would try to find that starting running back and maybe have him sit and see how he does, unless you know it's a fairly easy matchup and you just you want to, you know, take it and get the easy ten points. Because if it's like a weak defense, it'd be something like that and all that lines. But I know I don't I don't know what ended up happening. But John, I think it's John had to be right back, ladies and gentlemen. He'll re- be returning and all that stuff. But let's move on to our next segment, ladies and gentlemen. We have our glorious return of a very selected favorite part section sec- segment of our show, ladies and gentlemen, is our pigskin pickums. They have returned, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to pigskin pickums. And on this pigskin pickums, we have very basic rules around here: two college football games, two NFL games, where we pick and trying to figure out who would win. And we would try to keep us a record of who gets some right and who gets some wrong. That's basically how this works, ladies and gentlemen. So the first game we have on this list is number one, Alabama versus number 11, Florida. Isaiah, who do you pick to win this matchup? Give, give me some nice backstory about this for us. Well, this is definitely going to be the game of the weekend because you have number one Alabama, who I believe has has played either only one or two games. They both they played two games. Uh, they, their second opponent was I believe an FCS squad, so um, like you obviously expect them to win it. First week they played Miami. Miami's not that good anyway, so this I think will be Alabama's first true test of their season because I Miami no disrespect to the U but the U hasn't been relevant in a while uh Mercer like I don't even know where that school is located anyways no disrespect to no disrespect to them but your Alabama number one team traveling to the swamp a frenzy environment to battle the Florida Gators who are starting um I believe – I don't know if they're starting Emory Jones or starting the freshman quarterback who reports out of Gainesville is that he's very accurate. He's, you know, great deep ball thrower. A much – he's like Kyle Trask, but he can throw the deep ball even better than Kyle Trask. But, Trevor, John, give me those Gators. Give me those Gators. Don't do it like that. That just looks insane. Please don't do that again because somebody's listening to the podcast. Please don't. I'm picking the Florida Gators on Saturday at the Swamp, at their own home. There's going to be at least 110,000 people in that stadium. Guarantee you 90% of that stadium will be filled with Florida Gator fans. That environment with how Dan Mullen is able to coach quarterbacks and their Florida offense is very, very dynamic. And that Alabama defense will I watched that Miami game. They were a bit shaky in that game. And Bryce Young, first career start, 
in a frenzied environment, not playing in uh, Atlanta again, not playing in Atlanta where it would be it was mostly Alabama fans. He's going into the swamp. I think he's going to be rattled. I think he's going to throw at least two, three picks. Give me the Florida Gators to pull off the shocker of the year and beat number one Alabama. John, let me make this very abundantly clear here. And sorry, Hans, uh, if you cut you off here. Even though I don't like using the A word when it comes to football here, there is no way Florida has a chance of beating Alabama here. I mean, I know we're talking about you know, about Miami Week One and who they played last week. Listen, for this whole season, unless unless Nick Saban is out. Unless Nick Saban retires from coaching, it doesn't matter if they lose most of their offensive line, which they did. You lost another Heisman Trophy winner who just scored a touchdown in the same place as did the National Championship game. You lost defenders. You lost running backs. And they still are – I know they say, oh, it's going 2 no. But that's what separates the, the great coaches from the end. They're just coaches in college football. You can replace you guys. You can play well. I can't disrespect Alabama. It's like Tom Brady-led teams. I've – Learning it the hard way, going back to sixth grade when I first remember my first team's national championship, and thus the high, and thus the team was born. I can't doubt Alabama unless somehow Nick Saban retires right now. At, let's see what time is it? Nine thirteen Central Standard Time. Alabama's winning this game. Florida is at back. They haven't been back since they had Urban Meyer. Yep, I'm gonna have to agree with John on this. It's going to be Alabama. It's a tide that keeps on rolling. Like when has a tide has stopped rolling the last four seasons? They just been so relevant, been so dominant. And like John said, they just keep reloading. They graduate studs, Heisman Trophy winners, yet they still produce a second Heisman Trophy winner somehow, some way, some shape or form, or someone has ridiculous numbers that just, you know, blows a team out of proportion. Though, you know, their defense may have up and down years every now and then or stuff like that, but their offense is like a true juggernaut. It's been, you know, phenomenal the last, you know, few seasons and you can't beat it. Like even our fans say Casey King is picking Alabama. Lamb done. He's picking, you know, haters going to hate roll tide. Ishmael is going to pick Alabama. Isaiah, you're up against the odds. I understand, you know, last week you were able to pick the, you know, UCLA, LSU one, Georgia, Clemson, but I, I think your luck may have run out this week. I don't think it's going to happen, my friend. I can't. I will not say the cursing words that Landy just said, but, well, yeah, I'm, I'm picking He's a fan anyways. He's an I know. Alabama. I know, but I'm not using those curse words here on the show. But I can't pick it out against Alabama in this game. They're just gonna barrel roll. That's all. That's all they're gonna do. They're just gonna barrel roll their way through Florida, and they'll be fine. Next game, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we have. Uh, I would say, I would say the game of the week, the game that we all would tune into. It's the whiteout, Penn State Auburn. It's a night game at Penn State in Happy Valley. Number ten, Penn State versus twenty-two Auburn. I understand Auburn's a little on the low on the rank side, but I think. At how this game's gonna go in a whiteout. I know Penn State's offense is a little shaky, but their defense know how to capitalize on turnovers. So I'm gonna give this game to Penn State because it's a whiteout and you have a, over a hundred thousand fans, and that noise, a depthifying game in Happy Valley is gonna be tough for Auburn, and they're gonna make mistakes 
and Penn State's going to capitalize on it. And that's why I'm going to go with Penn State. Isaiah, who do you pick? Auburn or Penn State? This is a very tough game to pick since when I look at this, it's like Penn State, the whiteout. Trevor, you know, as an Ohio State fan, you know how tough it is to play in the whiteout. I know Penn State's like 7-8 and eight or whatever in the whiteout, but that environment is deafening. It is a crazy atmosphere, and it's an atmosphere that I will one day want to go and experience live in person because it's just a great environment. Um I'm surprised that they're not doing that against Ohio State or against Michigan and doing it for Auburn, but, hey, it is what it is. I'm going to go with Penn State. I'm going to agree with you, Trevor, on this. Give me Penn State. They're at home. That environment is so tough to play in. Their defense is really, really good. And we've seen Bo Nix. You know, that guy, one game he comes out looking like the second coming of the greatest Auburn quarterback to ever play. And then the next time he comes out, he looks like he doesn't even deserve to play high school football in Alabama, let alone Auburn. So, you know, I just don't know what Bo Nix will come out uh, in this football game. Um, if it's the bad Bo Nix, well, then uh, you should even tune into this football game. But I think that Penn State will make life hell for Bo Nix in this game and make life hell for the Auburn offense, which has been a bit shaky to start the season, but it's not really a surprise since they have a new head coach. They're trying to install a new scheme and all that stuff. So give me James Franklin and Penn State. John, what about you? Who is going to win this football game, Auburn or Penn State? Two words, Penn State. That's it. Thank you. I take a bow. Very good, John. Very good. Good pick. Good selection. Now, before I go into our NFL side, Casey King says, going with Penn State. Isaiah, I don't know where to go with this next game in the three slot. I, I put a suggestion there. I don't know if you want me to go with my suggestion or go with what you have. Let me know. Go with your suggestion because I have the one that the, – the game that I just put – well, I mean, can we do like – I mean, we can't do – Two, all three, right? It doesn't make sense to do all three. It doesn't make sense. We have four for a reason, and picks can pick them. All right, go with your suggestion, because the game that I just put down was like Thursday night football for, for tomorrow, but, you know, it's not really going to be that interesting of a game. Unless right, you're a Giants uh, fan or a Washington football team fan. Yeah, so the game I end up selecting is the Chiefs-Ravens. I I like that game in general, though I know Patrick Mahomes is going to pull it out. And, like, I know we're probably all going to agree with Patrick Mahomes is going to probably win this game. I want Lamar Jackson to redeem himself after what happened to the Raiders, though. It's like I'm picking the Chiefs on this, but I need, like, Lamar Jackson to ball out against the Kansas City Chiefs. He needs to actually, like, beat Patrick Mahomes and actually become, like, you know, maybe another MVP quarterback. But he needs to get over that hurdle because if he does it, he could reach the Super Bowl, maybe. Maybe. I'm not saying he's going to, but maybe he could reach it. I know John's a whoa. But, whoa. But, but, like, think about it. AFC Championship game. If the Ravens get there and the Chiefs are there, he has to beat Patrick Mahomes to get over that hurdle to reach the Super Bowl. He, he just, he's, he's not going to win it. He's beat Patrick Mahomes in the regular season. There's no way he's going to beat Patrick Mahomes yes. in the playoffs. That's the problem. But this is why I say he needs the ball out and be able to do it here in the regular season. It's stepping stones to be able to do that in the final postseason. I understand the regular season in the NFL, it's long. You have, you know, 
early season and all that stuff, but still, it's just he needs to be able to come out and perform and be actually consistent. He can't be wishy-washy in this football game if we're going to say, you know, he's going to be an, an AFC championship contending team. But I'll go to Isaiah. What, what do you think on this? Who are you going with? I badly wanted to go with the Ravens. I badly, 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 badly wanted to go with the Baltimore Ravens. But I can't because after what I saw on Monday against the Las Vegas Raiders, the Baltimore Ravens offensive line is terrible. They desperately miss Orlando Brown Jr. I don't know why they traded him to the Kansas City Chiefs. Makes no sense. They didn't want to pay him the left tackle type of money. And, well, look what they're starting with now. Oh, they should have. They should have paid him the left tackle money because their tackles are terrible. Uh, Their running backs are hurt, unfortunately. Their secondary, I mean, what are you doing, Marlon Humphrey? What are you doing, um, that guy that was supposed to keep up with Zay Jones? Why do you stop in the middle of that route? Give me the Chiefs because I think the Chiefs, they have the ability to run the football, pass the football on offense with Mahomes and that high-powered offense. I know the Ravens' defense, they're going to make it tough for that Chiefs offense. That's why I think the game will be closer than most people think. But Frank Clark, Chris Jones, and those guys up front in that KC defensive line, they're going to have a monster night wrecking Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense because that Ravens offensive line just can't block anybody to save their life. So give me the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs will win it, and I think they I'll, I'll pick them to win by 10 points. And, John, I know you're probably going to pick the Chiefs unless you're going to shock me here. No, I'm not. I'm the exact opposite. The reason why I'm picking the Chargers and Cowboys game is because (laughs) – Hear me me out, though. Hear me out, though. Chiefs-Ravens. We're on Chiefs-Ravens. Because that's so – no. No, I'm being serious. But that's the next game, though, that we're going to talk about, though. But you're talking about picking a game, though, right? No, 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 we're picking, we're picking who's going to win. Ravens, the Ravens, right? There's no way. The Lamar Jackson, I'm sorry, but folks, Lamar Jackson is a bum. Lamar Jackson is not a great quarterback. And what I don't get, okay, as I, you can laugh at me all you want, but it's, it's Huggies, not Higgins. So we all had that. I was working on something this year. But the fact of the matter is Lamar Jackson will never beat Patrick Mahomes. We are getting so excited about We love to relive our childhood with all these Nickelodeon shows. No problem, but the problem is Lamar Jackson will never win a Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson will never beat Patrick Mahomes, and I don't understand the media narrative of, oh, my gosh, the rivalry between Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson. Well, for it to be a rivalry, you actually have to win a game or two, and Lamar Jackson and his team has not done it. Lamar Jackson is like Pluto in this game. There's no chance to Pluto coming back as a planet, and there's no chance of Lamar Jackson beating the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. You got Tybee Kill, you got all these guys on the offense, you got Quiet Eric Slayer, you back up running back Mahomes, and you're back at quarterback. There's no way, no how. Case is closed. I take a bow. All right, let's move on to our final picks and pickings for the night, gentlemen. We got the Cowboys and the Chargers. And ironically, I didn't know that was your next pick. I was just making it. You're just good, job. But, yes, I, I'm going to have to go with my charges. You know, they've been electrifying start. The, 
Yes, they had a little rocky start with the Washington football team, but they came out, they performed, they put points up on the board, and I was satisfied with their performance. And they really, Justin Herbert really used the offensive weapons that he had. He hit Mike Williams and Keen Allen really well, used Jared Cook really well to the extent for fantasy. So every Chargers like wide receiver or even running back that played really did well for fantasy. And I think the Chargers can do it again, though. I don't want to slap sleep on the Cowboys with, you know, all the, you know, stuff that they had. They owed, they fell a little short in the, you know, Tampa Bay game. But I think the Chargers are just more younger and hungrier just to continue to win and trying to, you know, make, you know, be more relevant in their division because their division is really, you could say, stacked with all what's going on with teams with the Broncos having a solid defense and the Raiders are a mix of offensive tricks and a, a decent defense. And then you have, you know, the king of the hill of the AFC and the Kansas City Chiefs and you're the Chargers. You got to, you know, almost try to run the table to be in the wild card or at least try to win half your divisional games to give yourself a fighting chance to get a wild card spot. And that's that's not easy in that division to split, you know, the entire series that you go between those teams. But, you know, winning all these games out of conference is definitely going to help the Chargers in this one. That's what I'm leaning at. And it's at SoFi. It's like the home opener. So you, you can't lose your home opener. So this is why I'm going to go with the Chargers on this one. Isaiah. Well, it is at SoFi Stadium, Trevor. But unfortunately, that stadium is going to end up being Dallas Cowboys. Sta- or it's going to be uh jerry jerry's world west that is what that stadium is going to be on sunday because i expect the loudest cheers to be when the cowboys score or do something in that football game but uh about this game cowboys at chargers even though i think that the charge the chargers are at home it's gonna be tough because you know cowboys offense really good under Dak prescott and kellen moore Chargers have a good offense as well. You know what, Trevor? I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with the Chargers to win this football game over the Dallas Cowboys. I could not pick the Cowboys. I really wanted to pick the Cowboys, but I just couldn't do it because the Chargers have a defense, something the Cowboys don't have. And today we also found out that Demarcus Lawrence broke his foot in practice. He's out indefinitely. So the pass rush, which was already weak, Got even weaker. So Justin Herbert's going to have all day to throw the football. Maybe he should bring like a Chargers picnic blanket and some burritos and sandwiches. Have a nice little picnic as you wait for your wide receivers to get open because you're going to have all day in the pocket to throw the football. So give me the Chargers in this game. The defense is going to be what seals the deal for the L.A. Chargers. I nearly said San Diego Chargers. Callum would have killed me on this program. But uh, the L.A. Chargers, the L.A. Chargers are going to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. And, John, what about you? Who are you going to go with, the Cowboys or the Chargers? Just like in Marvel when it's a turn of events and you're giving the chance to the new characters, for this game I'm picking the Cowboys in terms of there's more pressure for Dallas. Dallas has to win this game. There's no op- – there's more – room for error for the Chargers than there is for Dallas here. Because like I said, with the Marcus Lawrence's injury, Ezekiel Elliott, 
If the offensive line isn't doing their job, it's, then Zagalli can't do his job. Mario Kipper played phenomenal. Michael Gallup's out for a couple of weeks here. You got CeeDee Lamb, you can play very well, but at the end of the day, can the offense can the offensive line do their job? You didn't have your starting offensive lineman, Zach Martin. I believe he's back for this game. And so that's why I picked the Cowboys to turn to there's more pressure. The Chargers are making us think, okay, it's just a week two of the NFL season. While Dallas decided this, oh my gosh, we just paid Dak this new contract. He's in his new year of his four or five year contract. Ezekiel Ellis in his new year, six year contract. Uh, Mark Cooper is in his uh, second year, four to five year contract. So there's just a lot of pressure in a win now mode. Because if you have guys against their high contract and you're not winning, then they're going to have a rift of their problem. And some people have said this already. Should Mike McCarthy be the guy? Should Mike McCarthy be the coach? Yada, yada, yada. We can have that debate. Obviously, I say no, but more pressure on the Cowboys to win this game. And if the Chargers lose, it's okay because it's one and two. And with how this division is, anything can really happen. But I put more pressure on the Cowboys than I do the Chargers in this game because to how that played last week, there's no excuse this week. Kellen Moore is under more pressure for the Dallas Cowboys than any other uh, staff member for the Dallas Cowboys. Because when you game plan, when you game manage through the first three and a half quarters, you cannot give your guy that you've signed for six years the ball only seven times through three and a half, almost four quarters. That is absolutely unacceptable. So you're going to have to get the running attack going early. You're going to have to feed the ball to Mark Cooper in CD Lane while Michael Gallup is out and let the tight end feed the ball. So pressure on the defense, but that's what it is. I know I surprised Isaiah there, but once in a while I do uh, have that in me. Uh, and Casey King's going to go with the renters <laughs> over the Cowboys on this one. All right, gentlemen, it's long overdue here on this network. And as I get, you know, situated on finding our next moment, let's move on to our Power Five. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Power 5 segment of tonight's program. And this is an interesting Power 5 segment, Power 5 segment. And it's the most unique one I've seen in a while that Isaiah came up with. It is the top five topping slash condiments to put on a cheeseburger. Now, Isaiah, does... does Crispy bacon. Hold, hold up, John. Let, let me make this clear. Does okay. Is cheese out of the picture since the cheese is already on the burger? That's a cheeseburger, not a regular. Well, burger. yes, cheddar cheese is out of the picture. You could put different cheese and just stack it, but okay. cheddar cheese is out of the picture because it's uh, it's a cheeseburger. And the reason why we're doing this, folks, is because today is National Cheeseburger Day. So that is why we we're doing it. Me and Trevor, we were like, we couldn't come up with any Power Five idea. So I was just, I just searched up on Google, what is the holiday for today? Because every day there's like a national whatever type of a day. And it just so happened to be National Cheeseburger Day. So that's why I was like, huh. Toppings and condiments on a cheeseburger for National Cheeseburger Day. So you guys saw me writing a bunch of stuff uh, while you know we were talking sports, and that was because I was writing down all the toppings and condiments that you could put on a cheeseburger. 
All right. I, I guess since you really got us underway, Isaiah, you know, you want to read off your five real quick? All right. Um, so before I get my five, there's actually one that is not on my list at all. It's not even in my top 10. It wouldn't even be in my top 20. And that is pickles. I absolutely hate pickles. Thank no you. way. No way. Like what? Yes. I, I look. Pickles make the cheeseburger. It, it's like sour. It's like, uh, it's like just disgusting. Ruins the flavor. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I just don't. But it's not a Krabby Patty, John. It's pickles. Okay, yeah, but a Krabby Patty would taste better. But we don't know what a cartoon hamburger tastes like because we can't defy the laws of physics here. So until yeah. then, no. <laughs> but here is uh, my power five. Actually, I'm gonna give a. Give one uh, honorable mention before I give my power five. And I'm going to say tomatoes. Tomatoes, definitely. Tomatoes on a burger, you definitely got to have it. You know, you don't want to be eating just the patty, the cheese, and the bun. Like, you don't want to be eating that. So you got to have, like, some type of vegetable in your cheeseburger. That's my honorable mention. But let's start with number five on this list. So Trevor, John, we're talking condiments and toppings, so it could be like sauce and stuff like that too, right? Mm -hmm. Like ketchup, mayo, all that stuff. Yeah. All right. So number five on this list, it's got to be the ketchup, because if you don't have, you know, ketchup on what a cheese, kind of ketchup though? There's some good kinds out there. For me, it's regular ketchup, just regular ketchup, because like I, I wouldn't take any type of ketchup, but I'm just saying like. Regular ketchup, the OG, you know, you got to have that type, like you got to have that in there. Either, I, I wouldn't put just like mustard. That just doesn't sound like a good fit, but ketchup absolutely has to be on a cheeseburger. Uh, number four on this list, fried onions. Fried onions. You know, when we talk about like some of the, like a bacon cheeseburger, fried onions in there, really, really good. Um, number three on this list and Trevor, John, it, this is going to be two ingredients, but it's going to be combined into one. Cause like, it's always in a burger combined into one. And that is mushroom and Swiss. Mushroom. Ew. Ew. That's disgusting. Have you tried a mushroom and Swiss burger? First of all, I've tried. I, I don't care if it's mushroom with gold on top. I have not eaten it. I'm throwing the mushrooms in the trash, just like pineapple on pizza. And I haven't ate dinner here, so please don't say anything too good right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, for me, mushroom and Swiss is number three on the list. Plus, the mushroom and the Swiss on top of a great patty. It's really, really good. Uh, number two on the list has got to be the bacon. The bacon. Just look at this burger that we had on our National Cheeseburger Day sign. I mean, you got the patty, you got the cheese, and you got stacks and stacks of bacon. I mean, it's just so good right there. Like, this burger looks so juicy. I just want to take it from the screen and eat it. Um, and number one on this list, this is for you, John, and you and Trevor might walk off the set and not come back. You're going to say pineapple. Number one. No, it's not ham. Number one on this list, chili. Chili. Chili cheeseburger. Ever heard of that, guys? It is so freaking delicious.
chili and cheeseburger, man. It is good. So that that is my power five. Well, I'll, I'll go to you, John. What, what would be, you know, your 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 top five condiments or topics you would put on your cheese? First of all, I want to say that my opinion, the best ketchup on this list is Whataburger's spicy ketchup. I don't care what nobody says. Crispy bacon and pepper jack cheese. There's nothing like it. Number four, though, onion rings. Like if you add those, it's not really good. But number five, though. I'm just gonna go for it and say French fries. Those go really good. And or Chick-fil-A sauce. I don't care. It's not on chicken. But French okay. fries in a burger or on the side? On on top, in it. Not in rings, bro. Alrighty. I guess I'll reveal I guess before I reveal mine, I'll reveal some of our top five from our fans. Casey King says his top five condiments for a cheeseburger are crispy bacon, ketchup, barbecue sauce, teriyaki sauce, and pineapple. Ooh. Casey, yes, you've pineapple. done so awesome into the pineapple. I am so sorry, but you're going to have to turn in your badge and gun as a fan of the MS6 Sports Network. I'm so sorry <laughs> for your loss. All right. So for mine, Isaiah, what you got? Before you go, Trevor, I got to say this. Barbecue sauce. I completely forgot about it. Like, I wouldn't put it in my top five, but definitely in my honorable mention and ahead of uh, well, tomatoes. Okay, so I'll go to my power five. I, it took me a while. Y'all said y'all hated pay, pickles, so I, I removed it from this list because I thought of just SpongeBob and all that stuff. And I was like thinking, like the bubble bath episode where you say you forgot the pickles. That's that's why I put a number two spot. I used to hate pickles, and then it just grew on me, and then I just like started eating them. I was like, okay, it's whatever at this point. And so I got I got used to it. But you know, an honorable mention if we were going to go from cartoons, I would want to try the jellyfish jelly sandwich from SpongeBob with the jellyfish jelly on it. I know it's weird and all that stuff, but. It seems like it would be cool to try. I'd, I probably would never try it in real life, but if I had to try it on an imaginary sandwich, it would be that. But now to my real list. Number five, it's got to be the onion. It's like you can do onion rings. You can do like, you know, fried onions to make it like a barbecue sandwich for a burger, for a cheeseburger. So really, you know, you can do a lot with onions. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a classic. It's like if you're building a burger, you've always got to add some onions to it. That's why I put it on the air. Number four is ketchup. Ketchup is like the, the staple. It's like when you go to a cookout, what do you put on a like a cheeseburger or a hamburger? You, you put ketchup on it, and then you put mustard. It's like that's why it's there. It's, it's in the four spot. Maybe you can throw mayo on the four, but I say ketchup is, you know, the staple to this. My number three, I like, you know, barbecue burgers, barbecue cheeseburgers, and you got to put barbecue sauce on it. You know, you can really build it up really well. You put the... You know, crunchy onions on there. You put the cheese, you put the bacon, and you just really build this up. You get a nice medium rare burger. Mm, looking Dude, real good right there. Is this a food crime? Water burgers, spicy ketchup, Chick-fil-A sauce, and in other places, sauce all in one. All in one. You got the food gauntlet right there, Trevor. Oh, yes. you. Yes, you do. My number two, John, I will have to put, agree with you on the French fries. I, I put this up really up there. It's like if you're on those like glass bit of fries, but you still got majority of your burger left, you can easily put it on and like finish your fries off and then enjoy it with your burger. That's why I put it in the 
number two spot right there. It's like it's like company combining your entire meal together in one thing. That's how I would say it. And then number one is crispy bacon. It's like if I go anywhere out and trying a burger restaurant restaurant for the very first time, I always try the bacon cheeseburger because if you don't have a good bacon cheeseburger, it shows a lot about the rest of the burgers that you make. That's how I end up seeing it. It's like the bacon cheeseburger is like enough difference in a burger, but it's still a classic cheeseburger. But it's just one extra thing because if you can't get the bacon right, how can I trust you with your other sandwiches that you make, you know? That's how I end up putting it on there for sure. But gentlemen, that will complete conclude our Power 5. We'll move on to our final thoughts and bring this program to a close. Uh, we're almost at the you know 90-minute mark in this program. I didn't think this was going to be an hour and 30-minute show, but it's it's the first show back, so we can let it slide. But we'll... We'll try our best to keep this program a little shorter, try to keep it with the hour 15-minute window as best we possibly can because we all value your time on a Wednesday night and, you know, spending time with your family and friends will give you back some time. But, Isaiah, I'll go to you. What are your final thoughts for tonight? Uh, before I get into my final thoughts, you know, I want to thank Ishmael, Casey, um, as well as Landon, uh I don't know who's running that SpongeBob SquarePants account, but thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, let's see. Uh, Christy Wilson, as well as – I think that was it. But thank you to everybody for tuning in. It was a phenomenal show tonight. Um, it was great to be back, you know, on No BS after a long summer break. Uh, but my final thoughts is that, you know, I hope USC makes the right hire. I know that I'm going to be the next couple, the next several weeks, months, whatever it is. I am going to be doing my best to be pushing Del Rio to USC so that USC can make the great decision and hire Jack Del Rio, whether it's sending letters, sending uh, videos, DMing the athletic director, all that stuff. I'll be doing that. So I want Jack Del Rio to USC, but looking forward to great, the great Washington football team versus the Giants game tomorrow. Um, it's going to be a great game. And mark my words, this is the beginning of a breakout season for Mr. Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Danny Dines. I'll read some of our final comments from our viewers before I you know, bring us on to a close. Ishmael says his power five for, you know, toppings for a cheeseburger. You got bacon, mayo, ketchup, mush mushrooms, and avocados. Ooh. Avocados on toast is another you know, good staple every now and then. And then Casey King has a question for us. Great show. And Isaiah, is there a show on Saturday evening? Uh, that is what, the night shift, I believe? I believe so, unless we change it to an, another type of program. I think it is the night shift. Uh, we'll get to our schedule uh, in a bit. But um, as of right now, it's TBD, to be determined. Because we I don't know. I might be working that day. Um, Isaiah, do we have any the picture of the schedule, or that's not up, up yet? Uh, we actually have it right here. All right. Uh, let me remove the comments so we can actually see it. So, yes, here's our tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen. So normally we have Mondays, we have Wild Sports Talks after Monday Night Football. On Tuesday, we have the Sports Lounge on Callen. But I know Callen's schedule is busy because he's gotten back in the swing of things. So that's very tentative on Tuesdays. 
Wednesdays is no, no BS at 6 p.m. Eastern. No, not Eastern. Pacific time. Love this mess up right there. Tripping over my own words. Thursday is the night shift at 10.30 p.m. Pacific. Friday as well, sports talk at 6 p.m. Pacific. Saturday, we have the night shift, but right now that's tentative of this week. But we'll give you a six for six in the morning for selecting the six best sports games of Saturday and Sunday combined. I'll split it up between three college football games and three NFL games that I have on my watch later radar list. And then Sunday is uh, extra point. Wow, I'm good. I was about to say fan response, but extra point on 9 p.m. Pacific. That is our lineup for MI6. We'll probably do uh, probably another update on the list as more time comes because obviously you can only fit so much on a PowerPoint slide. But ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for our show tonight. Take care, be safe, and we'll all catch you next time. See you and so long for now. Yeah. Three C's, my Mafia, it's going down. Y'all know what time it is.